You're going to need to have some zingers for lunch. And so, good news. I'm here to equip you. So, what do you call 10 Easter bunnies hopping backward? You need this. A receding hairline. Huh? You, you didn't know how bad you needed that until you heard that. What do you call an Easter bunny full of ticks and fleas? I mean, he's just riddled with ticks and fleas. What do you call that Easter bunny? Bugs bunny? <laughs> you needed that. Yeah. I saw Arnold Schwarzenegger eating a chocolate egg and I said to him, I bet I know what your favorite Christian holiday is. And he said, I've to love Easter, baby. Okay, we need to pray. <laughs> Lord, we do ask for your blessing. On our t- families are gonna be meeting, uh, extended families are gonna be getting together, and Lord, we pray that these would be truly times of rich fellowship and, and times where families will grow closer together. Lord, I'm grateful that our church family can meet together uh, this morning and celebrate a risen Savior. Lord, it's so good to know that the Creator was willing to lay down His life to satisfy Your wrath over our sin, and it's so good to know that, that He's raised, He's risen from the dead, He is raised to eternal life, and all who believe on Him will, will find pardon for sin and, and eternal life, and, Lord, a rich relationship with you. And so God, I ask that today would fall out to our understanding. Lord, we wanna know, we wanna see, we wanna understand the implications of a risen Savior, uh, the reality of what it means that Christ is alive and, and, and Lord, what that means for us. And so Lord, would you help us in your word? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. In John chapter 19, okay, in John chapter 19, Jesus, Israel's Messiah, the Savior of the world, he died for all of our sin on the cross of Calvary. We know that Jesus died because number one, he chose to. He laid down his life. Look at John chapter 19 and verse 30. The Bible says he gave up the ghost. Okay, nobody could take his life from him. He chose to lay it down. 1930 says, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. In John chapter 10 and verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. So he died because he chose to. Number two, he died, we know he died because the Roman soldiers must produce a dead body when Christ comes off the cross. They're professionals, they know what they're doing. It's a corpse that they took from the cross. Number three, we know he died because blood and water came out of his side. So we know that his heart had stopped beating. Number four, we know that he died because they buried him in a tomb. When you read Matthew's account, it tells us the religious rulers made it secure. They were determined because of Christ's statement about rising in three days that he was gonna stay in that grave for longer than three days. So they secured the tomb with a full set of armed guards. Matthew 27, 64, 
gives this clue. Command therefore, this is what the religious rulers are saying. Command therefore that the sepulcher be made secure, made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people he is risen from the dead. So the last error shall be worse than the first. So we know he was dead because they buried him. And then number five, we know because God said so. The word of God prophesied that Christ would die. Read Psalms 22 and you see the agony of Christ on the cross. Read Isaiah 53. Uh, Romeo was quoting uh, from Isaiah 53 in his spoken word. Jesus himself said in John chapter 12, verse 32, he says, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So yes, Jesus died that day, 2000, just almost 2,000 years ago. And we all know the rest of the story. The good news of the Bible is that on the third day, no matter what the religious rulers tried to ensure and secure, on the third day, Jesus rose from the grave to eternal life and to be our Lord and Savior. See, Christianity is different than any other religion on the planet. Our founder alone, our founder's bones do not lay in a tomb. I've been there. I've actually been in that tomb. It's empty. That's the good news. There was, there was no corpse there. Our founder's bones do not lay in his tomb. No, today Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father and he knows and he sees each of us in his creation and he's made a way for us to be in right relationship with the Father. So today, I want us to see an incredible picture, an incredible type, an incredible illustration of salvation. Right, salvation comes in knowing that Christ is alive. Salvation comes in discovering the empty tomb, and that's what we're gonna see on this Easter Sunday. John chapter 20, verse one. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark, unto the sepulcher, to the grave. So what woke her up before daylight? What got her, what drew her out of her warm bed to a hillside grave? I'll tell you why, Mary loved Jesus. So that's your first point for study. Mary, she had a great love for Jesus. Love drew her to that tomb. Why? Because she's putting him first, right? The, the religious festival is over and so she's coming early. She put him first that day, very early in the day. What about you and I? Do we put Jesus first? You see, the Lord had, del- she knew it. The Lord had delivered her from so much. In Luke chapter eight, you find out She was possessed with seven devils. So the Lord delivered her from the bondage of those evil spirits and the sickness that accompanied them. See, the Lord had delivered her from so much so she is so deeply loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ. What about you? Do you put him first? Are you deeply loyal to the Lord Jesus Christ? So she got there early and she seeth the stone taketh away taken away from the sepulcher. And you can read the rest of the story in Matthew 28 about what's going on here. It's a powerful resurrection account. Remember when they came to take Jesus into custody before they crucified him? They put him on the, in, a, in a sham trial and then they crucified him. When they came to take him into custody, when Jesus says, I am he, what happened? Those who came to arrest him fall back. It knocks the revelation of Christ, bowls them over, it knocks them knocks them over. Well, 
The same thing happens in his resurrection. When Jesus rose from the grave, Matthew 28, two says, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Have you ever passed out from fear? Has that ever happened to you? I've never passed out from fear. I did pass out from a a leg cramp one time. That's another story for another day. Uh, Only time in my life I ever passed out. Um, But uh, you know, it's it's like your your body can only take so much, and then it lights out. They saw this cat. The stone roll. They watched it. They watched the resurrection happen. The stories these guys are going to tell for eternity. Right? They watched the resurrection happen, and it was so mind blowing knocks them out. So Jesus rose from the dead, how did he do it? Well the Bible says it's by his own power, by the power of God, and so point number two, the resurrection of Christ is one of the many proofs that Jesus is part of the Trinity. The resurrection of Christ was brought about by the joint action of the three persons of the Godhead, the three persons of the Trinity. Everything that God does, he does it It's a work of all three members of the Trinity, okay? They cooperated, the Trinity, all three members cooperate in the first coming of Christ, in his incarnation. And so, uh, I think, did I give you the cross references in your notes? Hebrews chapter 10, verse five. Do you have that? Okay, Philippians 2, 7, Luke 1, 35. Uh, That's your homework. Find all three members of the Trinity in bringing about the incarnation of Christ. Well, so also they cooperate in the resurrection of Christ. Romans 6, 4 says that Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. John 10, 17, Jesus said, I lay down my life that I might take it again. So how was Jesus raised from the dead? Well, the Father raised him. How was Jesus raised from the dead? He raised himself. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus capital S in Romans 8, 11, spirit. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, who raised Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit did. So all three members of the Trinity have just now moved in unison. Christ is resurrected, and what does Mary find? So point number three, Mary's response to an empty tomb. This ought to be our response to an empty tomb. She had to tell somebody, she had to tell others. Whenever you know that the tomb is empty, whenever you see it and you believe on it, you can't keep quiet about it. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. That's a, that's a polite way John is writing this, this gospel account. And so this is the polite way that he refers to himself, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And saith unto them, they have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth and that other disciple, again this reference to himself, it's a, it's a way of communicating him in, himself in the account in a humble way in that culture. So he's speaking this way and so John's, you know, mainly because John's point is, is my name isn't important, you just need to know I'm a follower of Jesus. That's all that matters is that you know that Jesus loved me, right? It's, it's not like, I'm the one you love the most. That's not what he's saying, okay? It's just all you need to know is I'm a nobody that Jesus loved. That I'd encourage you. I'm a nobody that Jesus loved. 
So John comes to the sepulcher, verse three. Now watch this, here's where he brags. So they ran both together and the other disciple, he's referring to himself, the other disciple did outrun Peter and came <laughs> first to the sepulcher. He's like, my training plan came together. Just kind of like I feel like my, my training plan for the Grayland 5K. You know, I think if everything comes together, I'm gonna humiliate Pastor Mata at the 5K. And I'll get to the finish line first. Pray for me. Okay, so John says, yeah, I outran him. I was faster than Pete. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went into the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie. And the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Now that is a statement. Jesus is done with the napkin, so he folds it and then puts it away. He leaves it behind. So mom, dad, there's your passage for your kids. Devotional application, right? Clean your room. <laughs> I mean, if Jesus could clean his tomb, you can clean your room. Hello, somebody. Have, have purpose in how you roll. Be neat, right? Cleanliness is... Okay, you know. Number four, verse number eight. What was John's response to the empty tomb? Well, he believed. Then went in also that other disciple, again referring to himself, which came first to the sepulcher. Remember, I beat Pete. And he saw and believed. He knew what happened. He saw the empty tomb and he believed. I serve a risen Savior. He didn't understand everything yet, but he knew that Jesus was alive. Now watch this, verse nine. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. The Bible said it would, it would go down like this. Psalm 16 verse 10 says, Thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. No way will he rot in the grave. He will rise again. See, God's point to you and I today, this is how we get the gospel, and we're gonna look at it here in just a second in Romans chapter 10. God's point to you and I today is that you need to believe that Jesus has risen, not because you see an empty tomb, no. You should know that there's an empty tomb because you know what God has said. You know what the gospel declares. You know what the Bible says is true. You and I as Gentiles, we walk by faith, not by sight. John saw and believed. You should see it in scripture and believe. 2 Corinthians 5 verse seven, we walk by faith, faith in believing on God's word, not by the proofs of an empty tomb. Now again, I. I actually have that too. I was in the tomb where Jesus was buried. It is empty. Uh, you ought to put that on your bucket list. Go with LFBI to an Israel uh, study tour. It'll just blow your mind in your study of the Bible. Okay, verse number 10. Then the disciples went away again unto their own home. I mean, after something like that, why do you go home? Why would you do that? Well, you gotta take good news home, don't you? Anytime you get great news, you, you, you share it at home first. My kids, my city, they need to know that Jesus is alive, that the grave is empty, so I have to go home first. Now, in verses 11 and following, following I want you to get this beautiful, this incredible salvation picture. The salvation picture goes like this, verse 11, but Mary stood without at the sepulcher weeping. Uh, she wants Jesus in her life, but she can't find him. She's looking for the Lord, but she doesn't know where he is. She doesn't have Christ in her life. That's the picture. 
She needs Jesus, and this need is from the depth of her soul. Uh, early, right? Early, before day, she's looking for Jesus. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulcher and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Uh, You ever notice that at the conception of Christ and at the birth of Christ, right, in Christ's coming, first being placed in a virgin's womb, it's announced by angels, right? An angel makes the announcement. When Christ is born, uh, shepherds get a birth announcement by angels. Anytime the king comes, an angel announces it. You ever notice that in scripture? The angels always announce The coming of a king is always announced. And the same thing's gonna happen at Christ's second coming. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse 16 says, at the second coming of Christ, when Christ comes to take the church, at the time of the rapture of the church, when Christ comes for his bride, uh, it's with the voice of uh, of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So that, coming of Christ for his bride. It's announced by angels. And so that's what Mary's getting. She's getting an introduction to the gospel. Christ is come, resurrected, and the angels declare it. So she saith unto them, verse 13, why are you you crying? Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. So she doesn't understand yet the resurrection, but don't miss this picture, okay? What has she found? She's found an empty tomb. So get this down in your notes. The key to everything is an empty grave. So point number six, Mary did not meet the the risen Christ until she had discovered an empty tomb. Do you see that? You have to believe on a risen savior. So she first has to discover the empty tomb before she can meet Christ. So get this down in your notes. You have to believe he is risen if you're ever gonna find him as your Lord. Hello, somebody. If Christ is dead, he can't hear your prayer. He can't hear your plea for forgiveness of sin, for salvation and eternal life. You have to believe he is risen if you're ever gonna find him as Lord. Romans 10, nine says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans, from all the way up to chapter 10, you're finding out how our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. And the wages of that sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, how do we we get that sin? Well, that sin debt has to be paid. The penalty of sin has to be excised, right? It has to be taken. It has to be paid. Someone is accountable for that. Jesus said, I'll take it all. And the Bible says he took upon himself the sin of humanity, nailed it to his tree at the cross of Calvary. God's wrath was poured out over your sin, my sin, the sin of all who are in the first Adam. He died for our sin and he rose to eternal life that all who call on him might have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. So Romans 10 tells you, you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. What are you doing? This is what we're seeing with Abraham. He believed God. He believed God's promises and God counted it. He reckoned. He attributed it to Abram, righteousness. He made him right, right? So there it is. You believe on a risen savior. 
With the heart you believe unto righteousness and with, the, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So verse 14, look at the next picture. She finds an empty tomb, it's a risen savior. Now she looks unto Jesus, verse 14. And when she had said thus, she turned herself back. We'll pick that up in a moment. Repentance is a turning of yourself back to God. She turned herself back and saw Jesus standing and knew not that it was Jesus. And maybe that's you this morning. Uh, You're looking for Jesus, but you don't see him. You don't recognize him. You don't know how you can know that you have him in your life. Just be like Mary and look. Turn back from your sin and turn to God and seek and you'll find. Luke eleven nine 9 says, I say unto you, ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and you shall find. Seek the Lord Jesus Christ. Call on him. He'll show. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. So here's the key. She turns back to the Lord Now she's looking unto Jesus, verse 15, and Jesus saith unto her, woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? She she supposing him to be the gardener saith unto him, sir, if thou hast borne him hence, if you've taken him away, tell me where thou hast laid him and I will take him away. Jesus saith unto her, Mary. Isn't it good to know that Jesus knows your name? I was 12 when Jesus said to me, Sam, come on, bro. (laughs) Just humble yourself, call on me. You know, your heart can be filled with grief and despair, but Jesus, he knows you. He knows what you're going through. He bore that burden to Calvary itself. He knows. He knows your name. And the fact that you're suffering does not mean that you've been forgotten. Jesus knows every tear that you shed. He knows every trial that you face. There she is in agony, her own agony in this garden, and Jesus is there to comfort her. But don't miss this picture. How does she find Jesus? She, verse 14, turns herself back to him. That's repentance. Repentance is turning around. It's reversing your direction, your trajectory. So she turns herself, that's, repent, that's the picture there is of repentance of sin and then faith toward God and saith unto him, Rabbani, which is to say master. So the picture there is now she's calling on the Lord Jesus Christ, do you see that? There has to come a day in your life where you say, I'm done going my way, I'm gonna turn back to God and I'm gonna call on him as my Lord, master, Rabbani, right? Lord Jesus Christ. This is why a lot of people don't want to submit their life to Christ. They don't wanna call on him for forgiveness and salvation because they know in their innermost being, they know he's Lord and they wanna be Lord for a while. I wanna just get my life of sin out of my system and then when I'm old, I'll call on the Lord. Uh, You only have the promise of today. There's no promise of tomorrow. Uh, You could die in a moment. God loves you. You say, well, I'm having a good time in the world. There is no better time than being with Jesus. There is no better time than having Christ in your life. There is no better time than knowing you're reconciled to the Father through Christ the Son. There's nothing better than that. So that's the picture, right? She turns herself back and she calls on the master. So get this down in your notes. 
Salvation is a risen Lord. There is no calling on Christ without an empty tomb. Just like we saw a while ago in Romans chapter 10, what does the scripture say? That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do you believe the gospel? Do you believe the good news that Christ died for your sin, that he was buried for three days and on the third day, right, after three days, he rose again to eternal life and that if you call on him, he'll hear you this morning. Do you believe that he knows your name? Do you believe on the gospel? Will you submit your life to it? Will you call on him? You can leave this place today knowing that you have a right relationship with God through through Christ, through his finished work at Calvary. You can know it. Verse 13 says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Mary's immediate response, right, she sees him, she's called on him, now she wants to cling to him. All she wants now is to be with him, and rightly so. But Christ had one more thing to do at this point, right, his work was not finished. Verse 17, he says to her, touch me not, for I'm not yet ascended to my Father. Jesus has one more component of his mission to fulfill. Hebrews 9, verse 12 describes it. It says we're not redeemed, right? We're not made right with God through the blood of goats and calves, but it's through the blood of Jesus, right? But by his own blood, Jesus satisfies the wrath of the Father. It's by his own blood he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. Christ, as our high priest, had to offer the sacrifice of his blood on the mercy seat, on the the altar of God before the Father in heaven. That priestly function had not been fulfilled yet in the resurrection account, so he has to take care of that. So he says, don't touch me yet. Mary, right, he's, he's, he's in high priest mode here. The, the, the sacrifice has been made. It has to be offered up. So he's, you know, it sounds harsh on the surface, but no, Jesus has to take care of business for all of humanity. So Mary sees Jesus risen, so what does she do? Well, the picture's beautiful. Uh, Jesus' word to Mary is don't touch, go tell. Right? Touch me not, I'm not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. You're reconciled. You have a right relationship with him. He's your God. He's your Father. So point number seven, the command is preach the good news. So Mary comes and she tells the disciples that she had seen the Lord. How awesome is that? Ladies, the first person that ever saw Christ resurrected was a woman because she's that big a deal to the Lord Jesus Christ. So she comes and she tells that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things unto her. So she responds with joy and obedience to God and tells the disciples. So here's how the picture works, the salvation picture works. Number one, first we believe that the tomb is empty. Second, you meet Jesus. And then third, we go and tell others. That's what happens. You have to go and tell what God's done in your life. And so do you believe that Jesus rose from the grave? If you believe that, how do you keep that quiet? You have to tell somebody. Well, nobody would believe me. Well, okay, tell that to the soldiers guarding the tomb. They told the truth, even though they knew it could get them killed. These soldiers had to keep their charge. If they did not, they would be tortured to death, 
and the death part would come with them being buck naked, dying in a fire started by their clothes, okay? I mean, they would be tortured to death and they still, they know he's risen. They know he is resurrected and so they went and told the religious leaders anyway, nobody's gonna believe me about a risen say. Tell that to the soldiers guarding the tomb. They told the truth even though it could have cost them their life. Matthew 28, 11 says, now when they were going, Behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priests all the, things which, all the things that were done. So Mary is doing exactly what the Lord called her to do. Verse 19, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, so it's still Sunday, when the, so, so morning encounter with Jesus at the tomb, now it's evening, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, right, came Jesus and stood in the midst. Okay, in verse 17 he said, don't touch, I have to ascend to the Father. Now he's back the same day at evening. Okay. Wow. In, in our Genesis class in LFBI, one of the things that we do is we lay out the structure of creation and it's massive, creation's really big. Uh, it takes over 100, 100 million light years to just get across the, the skinny part of the Milky Way, okay? It's probably a lot more than that. 100 million years, okay? And there's like, well, they actually don't know how many galaxies are in the universe. They used to say it was a few million, then it was a few billion, and then it was over 200 billion, and then there's, uh, it might be 400 billion. Now they're speculating it might even be in the trillions. Like, basically, they don't know. It's really big, okay? And the way it's, and the Bible describes it as being shaped like a garment. And when you look at the background radiation of the universe, it kind of, depending on how you, you, you form it with uh, computer models, and I've got pictures of it, it'll kind of look like a, a garment. And, um, and the Bible describes the throne of God as being over creation. Mount Zion is called, it's, you just, if you want to know where it is, just look at the North Star and just keep on looking. And you say, why can't I see it? Well, there's a great body of water called the deep that separates Mount Zion from the rest of creation. Okay, my, my whole point with all of that is to get from Jerusalem to Mount Zion and back in a day is a thing, okay? So I got a couple charts for you. If you were driving and this is leaving Earth, at the speed of light, just trying to get out of, uh, out of our, our, our uh, yeah, this is uh, just getting out of our, our galaxy, okay? So you're, you're driving at 65 miles an hour because you're gonna follow the speed limit. Uh, 154 million billion years. It's gonna take you a while just to get out of our local neighborhood. Okay, bring up the next slide. This is moving at the speed of light it's still gonna take you. Yeah, okay, so this is, this is actually, I'm sorry, this is actually to get out of the observable uh, universe, and this is from like eight years ago, okay? Uh, still, traveling at the speed of light, it's 14.9 billion years. Just going really fast, <laughs> speed of light. Um, what is it, like nine seconds from the sun to Earth? light leaving the surface of the sun takes right at nine, eight or nine seconds to hit, hit Earth. I mean, that's just crazy. Okay, so 
you just need to get this down in your notes. How fast was Jesus going to get to Mount Zion and back in a day? Uh, the resurrected Jesus moves at the speed of everywhere. Okay, did you get that? He moves at the speed of everywhere. This is the speed of thought. It's beyond your ability to measure distance. It's staggering. Same day, same evening, on Sunday, from morning to evening, Jesus goes from the graveside at Jerusalem across the physical universe to the third heaven to the throne of God, presents his blood as an atonement for the sin of humanity, and then travels back across the physical universe, back to Jerusalem in one day. I mean, we're talking about the speed of everywhere. So how did he do it? Well, because Jesus is God. And one of, the one of the attributes of God is that he is omnipresent. Where is God? He's everywhere. He's everywhere. Proverbs 15.3 says, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. Jeremiah 23.24 can any hide himself in the secret places that I shall not see him, saith the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, saith the Lord? First Kings eight twenty seven. But God, but will God indeed dwell on earth? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less the house that I have builded. Psalms one thirty nine verse seven. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Isaiah 66, verse one, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? So get this down in your notes. There is no place that God isn't. I don't know if that's good grammar, but man, that's exactly what it is. There is no place that God isn't. And that's profound because when you get your head around that, no matter where you're at in life, no matter what, wrong, a lot of people, it's not that they implicitly know that he's Lord and so they don't wanna submit their life to him. Their fear is, is that God could never accept them because of how horrible or how wicked or how gross the things that they have done, the things that they have committed, they, want to keep it hidden from the Lord. You can't, he sees it all and he still died for you. God loves you. So whatever you're facing, whatever you've done, know Jesus has it covered. He's bigger than your burden, he's bigger than your sin, he's bigger than your lack, he's bigger than your lostness. And he has found you, will you just surrender? And he says to you what he said to the church 2,000 years ago when he first presented himself to them corporately. Jesus shows up and saith unto them, peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed them his hands in his side. And then, verse 20 says, were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. See, if you've got Jesus, you've got a reason to be glad. When Christ is in your life, you are glad. And so that's the question on the floor this morning. Where are you at? Where are you at this morning? Do you have peace? Do you have joy? Do you have the assurance of eternal life? Are you glad? Or are you separate from God? If you are separate from God, well, what are you doing with the fact that he's alive, that the tomb is empty? What are you doing with a resurrected Jesus? If you're saved, what are you doing with a resurrected Jesus? Are you telling? Are you glad in being with him? Are you telling others about him? I don't know what to tell you to make you understand, but I'll tell you this. I gave my life to Christ when I was 12 years old. I've been following him now for well over 30 years. I'm learning more. 
every, you know, every time I turn around, I, I, I discover more and more that the risen Lord, that Christ is my, my very life. He's everything, he's my all in all. And he has made me glad. Uh, I wanna take a moment and I want us to just enter into a season of prayer. And this is for all of us, okay? This is your part in our Easter service. This is your time to participate. Uh, we put you to work singing. Uh, you then got to hear the Easter presentation from the worship team. We put you to work in the word of God and now I wanna, I wanna put you to work in prayer. And I wanna ask that you'd bow your heads and Close your eyes, if you'll do that, you can actually see into your heart and life if you want to. And I just wanna, I just wanna ask that you'd consider the fact of a risen savior. How does that connect in terms of your own heart and life? Is he your risen Lord and savior? Do you know that God's wrath over your sin was satisfied through Christ's sacrifice 2,000 years ago. Do you know that Christ died for your sin, that he was buried, and on the third day rose to eternal life? Do you know that you've called on him for forgiveness of sin, for mercy, for salvation? Do you know that you've been received by God himself? Do you know that you're born again? How many can say, Pastor, I'm so glad Christ is my Lord and Savior? Can I see your hands? Just raise your hands real big. And praise the Lord. How many would say, Pastor, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm, I've been searching, I don't know. I'm not 100% sure that I have a right relationship with God through Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm not 100% sure that I'm saved. Pastor, would you pray for me? Is there anybody like that this morning? I don't know that I'm born again. I'm not sure that I'm gonna spend eternity in heaven with God. I don't know that my sin's been forgiven. Pastor, please, would you pray for me? Is there anyone like that here this morning? Just raise your hand. Yes, ma'am, yes, yes, ma'am, okay. Anybody else? Pastor, please, pray for me. I'm not 100% sure that I have a relationship with God through Christ. Please, pray for me. Okay, yes, sir, yeah, okay. So there's several. Anybody else? I just, I wanna wait a moment. Is there anybody else that would say, Pastor, please pray for me? I, I want to know Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm only going to wait another moment. Anybody else? Please pray for me. It won't just be me praying for you. There's a lot of believers here rooting for you, and we'll all be praying for you. Anyone else? Please pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Okay, I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, Eric. Uh, will you come and, and, and just give us another time, another season of worship? I'm gonna pray, and, uh, and, then, and then we're gonna worship together. And if God's dealing with your heart, and you know that he loves you, that he's found you, and you know that the tomb is empty, you've done the math, okay? There is a creator God, and he loves you so much. He took the penalty of your sin, and he's, and he's calling on you to call on him for forgiveness of sin, for mercy, for salvation, then today's the day to do it. No, no better time to surrender your life to Christ than on Resurrection Sunday. No better day than Easter. 
All right, so we're gonna pray. And then if God's dealing with your heart, I want you to come. If you have a question about anything that we looked at this morning, I want you to come. If you have a burden, right, maybe there's someone that's lost that needs Christ and you don't know how uh, to share Christ with them, come, we'll coach you, we'll pray with you, we'll counsel you. Uh, Maybe you have a hardship that you're going through, we wanna pray with you about that. God, we wanna help you take those burdens to the Lord. But Father, you see there are several here this morning that do not know that they're saved. They don't know that they're born again. They don't know that they're right with you through Christ's finished work at Calvary, through him bearing their sin, dying for their sin, shedding his blood to wash away their sin, to satisfy your wrath over their sin. They don't know that their life is yours in Christ. They don't know that they've believed on him. And so Lord, I pray that today would be the day where they would exercise their faith and they would believe on the gospel. And that Lord, you would take them and you would receive them like you promised in your word. And then Lord, use them to tell others the good news. Father, first we believe that the tomb is empty. There we meet Christ and then we go and tell others. Lord, use us all to give good news to our home, to our families, to our town, but Lord, also to the nations for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.